0: And let us pray now for God to illuminate our hearts and our minds. Let's pray. Lord, open our hearts and our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy and thanksgiving what you say to us today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our Old Testament reading this morning is Psalm 65. Listen to God's word for us. Praise is due to you, O God in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who answer prayer, to you all flesh shall come when deeds of iniquity overwhelm us. You forgive our transgressions. Happy are those who choose and bring near to you, that you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, your holy temple. By awesome deeds, you answer us with deliverance, O God of our salvation. You are the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas by your strength you establish the mountains you are girded with might you silence the roaring of the seas the roaring of their waves the tumult of the peoples those who live at earth's farthest bounds are awed by your signs you make the gateways of the morning and the evening shout For joy. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide the people with grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with richness. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Good morning. It's nice to be here this morning. I am thankful for many things, several things. Thankful for the invitation by the session to be able to speak this morning. Thankful for this holiday week of Thanksgiving, time to give gratitude for all that God does for us. Also glad to be here to speak before our, our new co and us see, are they co-covenant pastors or covenant co-pastors? I don't know, but it's one or the other, but they're the same thing. Glad to have them here as well. And I certainly know it's been through, uh, been around the block enough times to know that they're at a distinct disadvantage from all of us because we all know who they are, but they don't know us at all. So uh, be uh, kind as they try to remember names and that kind of thing, but you'll do well, I'm sure. So... But I'm glad to be here today, and I want to speak a bit about uh, Thanksgiving uh, this morning. Our gospel reading is there printed, uh, the verses are printed there, the the text at least, it's chapter 6, verses 25 through 35 from the Gospel of John. At uh, the very beginning of, of John 6, Jesus fe- is the famous story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 with a young lad who brings the five barley loaves and two fish. And they have enough for all the multitude. Uh, a little time passes there, at least uh, overnight uh, occurs. And the next day, the crowd wants to see Jesus. And they don't know where Jesus is, so they go looking for him. And he's crossed over the Sea of Galilee Um, and so in starting in verse 25, we read these words. When they found Jesus on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. And then they said to him, what must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God. That you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What sign are you going to give us then, so that we may see it and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. But it is my father who gives you the bread, uh, the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The word of the Lord. Right, thanks
0: be to God.
1: Jesus had a number of things to say about bread. In fact, the Gospels record Jesus using the word nearly 50 times. I think we all know what bread is. Bread is the universal staple. It's so ordinary that that very few of us ever give it a second thought. That is, until we don't have any. But no matter what your nationality, your race, your creed, your age, your income, or your IQ, you need bread. In In Asia, bread may be rice. Uh, in Central America, it, it may be cornmeal. In this Italy, it may be pasta. In some of the tropics, it may be plantains. In certain regions in Africa, it may be sema. Every culture can relate to this universal need for a staple for bread. Bread serves as a symbol for what we can't do without. In Lynchburg, it was the one item that our area emergency food pantry gave out to every client who requested food. Everyone receives a loaf of bread. Well, as you know, in his most famous and most familiar prayer, Jesus instructed his followers to pray for bread, at least enough for the coming day. The fourth century theologian and mystic Gregory of Nyssa noted with wonder, and I think with keen insight, that when one considers all that we need, The only thing Jesus permits us to ask for is something as simple as bread. Not cake, not donuts, not Twinkies, not even turkey and dressing and cranberry sauce and pumpkin pie with whipped cream on top. Only bread. Only bread. And that's, you know, because compared to bread, everything else is gravy. In other words, Jesus holds us to an austere standard whenever we ask our Heavenly Father to supply for our needs. We also aren't to ask God for a year's or a month's or a week's supply of what we need but only a daily portion. Give us this day our daily bread. And this wouldn't be the first time that Jesus, uh, first time that the demand Jesus places upon his followers is for them to live simpler lives. And Maybe you also noticed the humility uh, inherent in what Jesus says about bread. Essentially, it's an admission that despite all of our scientific know-how, our well-stocked grocery stores and our deep freezers, we are nevertheless dependent upon God for that which is essential for our survival. Anyone will tell you that, that, that should the sun cease to shine and the Rains cease to fall and the seeds cease to germinate. All of our accumulated human sophistication and ingenuity would be of little use to us. 400 years ago, our pilgrim forebears were well aware of just how dependent they were upon, as uh, I think it was Bradford put it, upon their beneficent father who dwelt in the heavens. A year after their arrival in the new world, with nearly half of their group dead, having been racked by disease, hunger, and diminishing hopes, but with their bountiful harvest in, there was a call for a special celebration in order to give thanks. Despite all that had been lost, despite every hardship that they had endured, they were still grateful to God for his providence. They knew the wisdom in the little rhyme. Back of the loaf is the snowy flower, and back of the flour the mill, and back of the mill is the wheat and the shower and the sun and the Father's will. Now, I hate to disillusion some of you, maybe others, others of you know this, but, but most historians tell us that that Thanksgiving in 1621 was pretty plain. According to the only two primary accounts from William Bradford and uh, Edward Winslow, there was no cranberry sauce, no jello salad, no mashed or sweet potatoes, pies weren't on the menu. They do make mention of waterfowl and wild turkeys, and the five deer that the Wampanoag Indians provided, and wild berries. But I think that it's very instructive that William Bradford mentions in his description of the Thanksgiving that the only thing that everyone received. As he put it was, a peck of meal a week to a person. And that's what? uh, A peck is I think a quarter of a bushel, something like that. So every person each week got a quarter bushel of grain or meal. In other words, that says to me that they saw to it that everyone would have bread. Everyone would have that needed universal staple bread. That's precisely why I think we see that Jesus uses the metaphor bread when he speaks about himself. I am the bread of life, he says. Because Jesus is saying that he is the one upon whom all human life depends. That's in verse 33, verse 33 in chapter 6. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And So it seems to me that we Christians are not to lose our sense of dependence upon God to provide us with what we need. Physically or spiritually. Too much bread, too many material possessions tend to rob us, I think, of that essential understanding. Now, to my knowledge, the Bible nowhere teaches that a poor person is necessarily a better person or a more virtuous person than a rich one. But it does seem to say that those who are less encumbered are inclined to trust God more, whereas those weighted down with material things will naturally rely on their own resources rather than on God. There's something more to notice among these, the things that Jesus had to say about bread and I think maybe most important of all. Jesus employed, as you know, the first person plural pronouns us and our when speaking about, when speaking about it. We say it every week, give us this day our daily bread. We don't say give me this day my bread daily bread. And it's been suggested that these plural pronouns obligate us to ask, can we pray for bread without sharing our abundance with those who don't have bread? That means that this us and this our add tremendous ethical and theological depth to what at first glance may seem pretty simple and may seem pretty straightforward. The great Sri Lankan Methodist minister, uh, missionary from the last century, a man by the name of D.T. Niles, put it this way and he put it very well. He said, bread for myself is an economic, uh, is an economic problem. But bread for my brothers and sisters is a theological problem. And so providing bread becomes something that we can help God with when we give to others who are less fortunate than we are. St. Basil the Great made explicit in a sermon that nothing that belongs to us is ours alone, particularly that which is in excess of what we need. And he wrote these words over 1,600 years ago, back in the 300s. He said, "The bread that is spoiling in your house belongs to the hungry. The shoes that are mildewing under your bed belong to those who have none. The clothes that are, in, that are stored away in your, uh, stored away in your trunk belong to those who are naked." The money that depreciates in your treasury belongs to the poor. See, here's an admission that we are responsible for our neighbor's need. Every time we say the Lord's Prayer, I don't think we realize that, but that's what we're saying. After all, if we believe that Jesus, uh, uh, Jesus, when he affirms that he is all the bread we really need for life, then shouldn't we be encouraged to to loosen our grip on those things that we so jealously clasp and guard and keep for ourselves. At least a little bit. I think a case could be made that today, it is even more urgent, more urgent than ever for us to, for us Christians to pray for bread, and to thank God for bread, rather than to think that it appears as, as if by magic on the s- shelves of supermarkets overnight. Now more than ever, individuals and families need to pray before meals if they are going to feel any sense of gratitude for what they have been given. In so many homes today, Family life has become so frantic, it's become so frazzled that parents and children caught up with their busy schedules, no longer have meals together, no longer even have meals at the same table. One casualty of this frenetic, uh, frenetic pace has been the diminishing practice of prayer before meals, known as we know it, giving thanks or saying grace or offering a blessing. Surely one of the most important things we should do is teach every succeeding generation to name the reality of God's grace in their daily lives so that they express gratitude for that grace. That's what ancient, the ancient Psalm 65 which Nelson read a little bit earlier was all about for the Hebrew people It's part of their worship. They heard it or they read it repeatedly, prayed it, Praise for God for hearing their prayers, for his forgiveness, for his creation, concluding with a thanksgiving for the harvest. And I mention this because the cost of neglecting the practice of giving thanks may be far higher than anyone has reckoned. You see, when we get to the point where we no longer understand bread to be a gracious gift from God, then it's not too big a stretch to draw a different conclusion, namely that our bread belongs to us. And if it's ours, then there really is no reason to give thanks to God for it, is there? As Dennis Amenas once said, as he dived into his dinner plate with delight, he says, Dad's paying for this meal, so we don't have to say a blessing. Or something similar from our friend Bart Simpson. Bart's blessing before supper, maybe you heard it. Dear God, we paid for this meal, so thanks for nothing. I don't think any of us should want to live in a world like that. If we Christians no longer give thanks for our daily bread, if we no longer name the food we consume as a gift from God, but if we see it as something that we have earned, something that we have deserved, a personal possession, then it follows that we might also be unable to see the rest of our life as a gift for which we should be thankful to God too. And I fear that Jesus' claim, his claim to be the bread of life will only be met by such words as, oh no thanks, we already have all the bread we need. But that means that there is no longer any reason for worrying about one's neighbor having sufficient bread. And that means that there's no longer any reason for asking if the bread one has been given is being used to redound to the glory of God. Which brings us to Thanksgiving. Our annual Thanksgiving celebrations provide us with an annual opportunity for giving thanks. And so if we can, during this coming week, let's carve out some time for some thankful thoughts. Whenever we do, I'm convinced that we commit ourselves to two ideals. We show our trust in God to provide us with what we need. And we also pledge ourselves to share some of what we have with others. Well, I don't think there's a better way to conclude a sermon than with the words from our spiritual forebear, John Calvin. Can't go wrong with John Calvin. This is what he wrote almost 500 years ago we are well nigh overwhelmed by so great and so plenteous an outpouring of benefactions that we never lack reason and occasions for praise and thanksgiving. My friends, for all our many blessings, may the Lord make us truly thankful. Amen.